The title of Liz Berry's first multi-award winning poetry collection, Black Country, signals her place of birth. And unsurprisingly, the book was described by reviewers as a sooty, soaring hymn to her native West Midlands. But a more symbolic place is visited in Lisbury's second recent poetry pamphlet, The Republic of Motherhood, which maps the transformative experience of giving birth and raising her children. Susanna V. Evans explored Lisbury's personal landscapes in conversation at the Stanza Poetry Festival in 2019. This podcast is brought to you by the Department of English Studies at Durham University. I wanted to start by asking you about the black country vocabulary in your writing, because reading your first collection, I felt like I was learning this whole new language of whammels, dogs, and osses, horses, and one, which is home. And I, I wanted to ask um, how rooted in place you feel your writing is, and whether that's changed over time, and also how important it is to you that you do use regional words in your writing. Well, my first book, Black Country, in lots of ways felt very rooted in that place, in that area, in its vernacular speech, its dialect, and the use of dialect in the poems was a really important thing to me. When I began writing poems using Black Country dialect, I hadn't yet come across any other lyric poetry using that vernacular speech. There was lots of comic verse, lots of narrative verse, mm-hmm. the kind of things you might find in sort of local newspapers. But nobody had really written lyric poetry using that dialect. And it's something I became really passionate about. Outside of the black country in Birmingham, the accent's really maligned. So if ever you hear a black country or West Midlands speaker on the radio or on television, in the media, they're always a comic figure. The accent and its dialect is associated with lack of eloquence, with stupidity, with ignorance. Whereas actually I think it's a really beautiful language. It's rich, guttural, funny, surprising. It's got these amazing words, wabble, warm. (laughs) And I thought, hang on, why is no one else seeing this? Like, is it possible to take this language, the kind of language I've grown up around, that been you know, sort of woven in out of my family and my childhood, is it possible to take that and and say, yes, this is the stuff of poetry and make poems out of it? So it sort of became my secret, (laughs) determined mission to see if I could do it. And I wasn't sure if I'd pull it off or not. But It sort of of feels quite um, jewel-like to me. And that's another word that that sort of stuck with me from reading um, Black Country. It's the word tranquilments, Mm. tranquilments, which mean ornaments or... Trinket type. Yeah. That word tranquilments is one of my favourites. It means like little ornaments or bits and bobs, your tranquilments. But even just the sound of it seems to me like this perfect meshing of tranquility and ornament (laughs) and the great pleasure you might take in a little ornament of a great one for tranquilments. So that seems to sum up so much about those little treasures. Yeah. My next question is really, really big. Yeah. But I was wondering how you would define, if you could, poetry. That reminds me of the time when I went on local radio, <laughs> live radio, and then said, oh, this is what we'll ask you about. And it was questions like about the black country, about poems. And then I got on and I sat down and the, the lady went, so Liz, what's poetry? <laughs> <laughs> and I think I said, that's a big question. <laughs> so 
poetry? I don't think I'll be able to answer that question with any kind of due eloquence. This morning I attended a really interesting talk and it was about poetry and performance and poetry that lives on the page. Mm-hmm. And and one of the speakers was saying, I think it's fair to say that if someone calls it a poem, then for them it's a poem. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people I know and dearly love and people in my family for whom poetry are the little poems that you read in the you know, in the deaths notices in the paper, those little, I think, quite mawkish, sentimental verses. Um, there are other people, people I greatly admire, who write poems that look nothing like anything I know of as a poem. So I, I know I feel qualified to say, mm. what's a poem? I guess a poem's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, yeah. So if it's like when you, if you have an art object in a gallery, or, or if you're asking someone to consider something in a certain way, that's also a way of, of, of reading it. Um, your poem, The Sea of Talk, from Black Country, draws attention to language, and you talk about, uh, this is a quote, how, how school robbed language from my mouth. And you also talk about verbs, this is another quote, verbs slithering, electric as eels in the sea, gra- sea grass. Um, and I was wondering if you were always drawn to language as a child, and when you first sort of started writing poetry and... I met poetry when I was very little. Like, my mum and dad both really love poems. They don't all come from that kind of background or that kind of world. They come from very ordinary working-class black country backgrounds. But they came of age in the 60s, where there was a really revived interest in poetry and music and folk song. Mm -hmm. And I think that was very much the kind of world that they wanted to create for us. Um... So from being really tiny, they used to read poems to us, all kinds of poems, and we used to learn them by heart. My mum worked in the libraries, so I spent much of my childhood buried in various bits of the West Midlands Public Library Network. Um, And I think I met poems in perhaps the best way. I met them by hearing them, by having them read to me, by hearing them spoken aloud, by speaking them aloud myself, by learning them off by heart. Um, so I think I came to them without the fear and anxiety that often people feel when they come to them as adults. Mm. Even now, if I'm teaching people that are new to poems, I say, if in any way you're curious about poetry, begin by hearing it. Mm. So go and listen to someone reading, mm. listen to recordings of poets, and then you'll get a feel for whether it's for you and what might be for you. Mm. Um, so I think then writing poems came quite naturally. And I was probably always like a secret writer, beavering away through childhood and adolescence. Um, but I didn't really take it seriously until I was in my 20s and working as an infant school teacher. Um, and then I was just surrounded by this really enchanting language of <laughs> little kids <laughs> for whom language is endlessly fluid and playful and silly and joyful and inventive. My own son is five now, so I kind of get to experience that close up, this absolute willingness to play with language and be inventive with it and take great pleasure in it and discover new things in it. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's sort of how we come to poetry is, is through nursery rhymes and things like yeah. that. And, and and I think often when people say they don't like poetry or, you know, they don't yeah. think they can understand, you know, it's something that that children do love yeah. often and are really, you know, without feeling this anxiety about understanding it or interpreting it or, yeah. you know, seeing it as a puzzle to, you know, unlock or yeah. 
And if you look at lots of children's anthologies, mm. they're way more eclectic than adult anthologies. So if you think of, when I was little, we had a beautiful anthology called The Swinging Rainbow, and I went back and looked at it recently. And so, like, it begins with Christina Rossetti. It's got a little Christina Rossetti poem. And it goes through everything from kind of folk song to T.S. Eliot's in there. And then it ends with Light, Lights Out by Edward Thomas. And I think, God, that's so eclectic. And I think those brilliant anthologies, they kind of answer that question of what is poetry because they put everything in there. So there's rhyme, there's vernacular speech, there's folk song, there's ballad, there's really quite challenging contemporary poets about dark things. And even now, like the anthologies I've got for my sons, there's a huge mix of like complexity and approach in there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we could definitely learn from as adults yeah. coming to our reading. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading um, Ted Hughes's, what he edited, um, a book called By Heart. Oh, yeah. And that was the first poetry anthology that I came across. I think I was about 12 or 13. And that was, like, completely a revelation because... What did you make of it? Well, I just... I I used to go through it and learn the By Heart and tick off the ones that I'd done. So the, the poems that I now know by heart are from that very early sort of teenage period. And is it quite an eclectic anthology? It sort of, it probably is, but I think I was very, I just read the poems that I liked yeah. at the time. Yeah. I think as well, we talked, didn't you, then, about this idea that poetry is like a puzzle to unlock. Mm. But I think as readers and, and as kids, like, we can tolerate a great deal of mystery. Mm. Like, I even now as I don't like poems which kind of withhold something from me, they don't reveal everything, so you're always wondering about them and going back into them. It's really interesting because... My eldest son is five, and we've got one of these anthologies of like you know poem a day or different poems. One of his favourite poems is one that I don't I don't really understand what it's about, <laughs> um, and I'm sure to goodness he doesn't. But yet there's something really compelling about it because yeah. he always wants to hear that one and go back to it. And sort of thinking about your son, and um, you, you published a, a pamphlet um, recently, um, the Republic of Motherhood, and it opens with the the title poem. And it begins, I crossed the border into the Republic of Motherhood and found it a queendom, a wild queendom. And later in the poem you you write, as required, I stood beneath the flag of motherhood and opened my mouth, although I did not know the anthem. And I think there's a sort of sense of bewilderment, but also sort of commitment there. And I was wondering if you saw your pamphlet as possibly being able to provide solace and sort of a point of connection for new mothers and how you feel about sort of feeling it necessary to write about the dull, repetitive moments along with the joyous moments of being a new mother? Well, it's something that I dearly hope that it might bring solace or comfort or companionship to other new mums. When I've spoken about the pamphlet, I always say, and this is very true, I wanted to write the poems that I was just desperate for, the winter when my first son was born, I felt bewildered is the perfect word for it, profoundly shocked. And when I looked to poems, the places that had always kind of given me comfort or helped me to understand things, actually that experience is quite rare. Mm. There's lots of poems about lovely babies, um, about breastfeeding, but very little about the anguish and the complexity, and the joy, and the ambivalence. Um, and yet all around me I was meeting brilliant, clever women who were talking about these things, and were feeling these things. 
and I was completely immersed in that world. So I thought, why, why can't I find it in poems? Um, so when I started writing the poems, I was actually quite afraid of them for a long time. I didn't know whether to publish them or whether it was the right thing to do. But I think it was the support and the companionship of all the mums, all the women that gave me the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. From my impression, there seems to be sort of narratives about how women should feel about motherhood mm-hmm. as well. And there are books, I think, sort of starting now, like yeah. like your pamphlet, to kind of question that um, or to trouble that narrative. Yeah. Um, things like Sheila Hetty's Motherhood, yeah. which is a, I think she calls it a novel, um, yeah. or it, and that's a really fascinating book about the decision of whether or not to have a child mm-hmm. and sort of working through that. Um, and I was wondering from from the poems of your pamphlet if you have a favourite one or one that provides solace or or joy or that you like most out of the ones that you've... Well, I guess the title poem, mm. but then I suppose also there's a poem about the spiritualist church in there, a poem mm. about the spiritualist church, about being really tired and walking past the spiritualist church. And, and it was an experience that kind of troubled me so much at the time. It's some case to do a lot. I felt so desperate in those early days and so tired that I was just desperate for someone to look after me. So I'd always find myself like walking in the sleep by like churches, particularly the spiritualist church that's around the corner from my house, and just thinking like if I knocked, would they would they let me in? Would they take me in? Would somebody look after me and let me go to sleep? And um and I'd never really articulated that experience before until I wrote the poem. The kind of that utter desperation and and sort of need to be looked after. I think that's something that surprised me such a lot in becoming a mom. That you still have a great need to be looked after, but now suddenly you're the one that has to look after somebody else. And I think lots of women go through that feeling of like that realization of my God, no one's looking after me now. Now I'm the person that looks after other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably that poem. But there's lots of the poems in the pamphlet. They're in a way kind of love poems to other mums, kind of the mums that kept me afloat, the mums that were my friends then and now, who was sort of my comrades in the trenches. <laughs> um, I one one of the things that I was thinking about when I was reading um, the Republic of Motherhood, well, actually, Black Country, um, actually, maybe both, um, is is how horses often appear in <laughs> with the osses. Um, and I was thinking of the poem Horse Heart, yeah. in which um, the sound of babies' hearts is, is like hooves. And I was wondering, this is quite a strange question, but what was it about horses that may have either, you know, subconsciously attracted you or whether it was to do with um, sort of a rhythmic thing of galloping and stamping, mm-hmm. sort of stamping in, in the poem, or, or a wildness, or the outdoorsness of horses, or, or something different? Well, I think it's all those things. So the, there's lots of horses or osses in Black <laughs> Country, um, because curiously enough, and this is still the case, there's bits of the Black Country very known for... How can I describe it? They're not wild horses. They are looked after by people, but you often see them tied up on like a grass verge or the side of a road or what we'd call like a donkey bite, literally like enough bit of ground for a donkey to chew on. Um, And you'll still see in in certain bits of the black country people riding like a a horse and a cart 
pulled by those same horses that you see tied up in really random places. So I think horses feel really integral to the areas that have kind of haunted my imagination in that way. Mm. And the little horses in the pamphlet, the horse heart, that came from because it genuinely is the sound of it. It's the sound of a baby's heart being monitored in the room. Their little hearts are so fast and it's so loud on the monitor. It doesn't actually sound like a human heart. It sounds like horses galloping. And there's something about that that wildness. Mm. So a horse can become incredibly close to a human. Like it can be, you know, it can be beckoned, it can be tamed, it can be taught. But it can also stay completely wild. It can go the other way. It's like a process and a negotiation, isn't it, to be able to bring a mm. horse in and, and mm. sort of bring it into your world. Mm. And... This is another slightly strange question, but I wanted to ask if you could only ever read one poem for the rest of your life, would you be able to name a poem? Oh, so like a poem by another poet mm. that I love. Mm-hmm. God, there's so many. A poem I really love. Although in many ways it's a really troubling, dark poem, is The Farmer's Bride by Charlotte Mew. Mm-hmm. It's a dramatic monologue and kind of really eerie about the farmer's bride and a girl married too young that then goes wild and is kind of then sort of hunted by her husband. Um, It uses vernacular speech really beautifully and this idea of fairy story and magic and enchantment and metamorphosis and at the end it kind of breaks down in this sort of beautiful, terrible, yearning repetition of the word hair. I love that poem. If ever sort of I'm getting disillusioned or stuck, I just think of that poem and I think, like I sort of keep it within me, and I because it seems so full of all the things I love in poetry, things that are troubling, things that are dark, things that are magical, things that are enchanting, or the voices, vernacular speech, and I think you just have to hold on to that in terms of my work. Yeah. But I suppose there's all the poems that as a person, have meant more to me. There's a tiny, tiny poem by Kathleen Jamie. I think it's called Prayer. It's from a longer sequence called Ultrasound. It's about the scan, the 16-week scan of the baby's heart. And it's such a beautiful poem. It's really tiny. I had a dreadful pregnancy with my first son and was on bed rest for months. And every day I used to read that little poem. It was like a little amulet a little prayer and I just used to read it every day it's kind of a poem about being still and forbearance and carrying something and that poem is a very dear friend to me (laughs) so I always feel it like very tender towards it now yeah Yeah, I think that would maybe be a good a good moment to hear some of your poems the first one I thought we could maybe hear is is um homing from that country homing for years she kept your accent in a box beneath the bed. The lock crusted shut by hours of elocution. How now, brown cow. The teacher's ruler across your legs. We heard it escape sometimes. A guttural oh on the phone to your sister. Saft or blot. To a taxi driver unpacking your bags from his boot. I loved its thick drawl, G's that rang. Clearing your house, the only thing I wanted was that box, Jemmy Dalpin, to let years of lost words spill out. Bibble, fiddle, tie, warm, 
Vels, ferruses, niles, consonants you could lick the coal from. I wanted to swallow them all. The pits, railways, factories thunking and clanging, the night shift, the red brick back to back you were born in. I wanted to forge your voice in my mouth, a blacksmith's furnace. Shout it from the roofs, send your words like pigeons fluttering for home. And then, and then the second poem um, is also very sort of language rooted. It's one we talked about earlier, um, the Sea of Talk, which also mentions the ladybird books, which I remember reading. <laughs> they haunt you still. <laughs> yeah. The Sea of Talk for Dad. That last summer before school robbed language from my mouth and parceled it up in endless ladybird books. You made me a bout of words and pushed us off from the jetty into the sea of talk. You let the waves navigate as my fingers stroke shoals of nouns in the chatter. Guzgog, peony, verbs slithering electric as eels in the seagrass. All August we sailed, the vast shadows of stories trawling below us. As the lights was out the night you was born, the secret in the mall pit up Batman's hill. Then further out, deeper, those first vowels we'd spoken, filmy and shape-shifting as jellyfish in the dark. You let me swim in the shallows, until the moon drew the murmuring tides to her breast. Then you made a net of your arms and hauled me in, kissed your thumb to my small mouth, my ears whispered, Bab, little wench, don't forget this place, it's babble never caught by ink or book, for on land school is singing its siren song, and oysters clem their lips upon pearls in the muck. Thank you. And then, I thought we could not hear the Republic of Motherhood. <laughs> the Republic of Motherhood. I crossed the border into the Republic of Motherhood and found it a queendom, a wild queendom. I handed over my clothes and took its uniform its dressing gown and undergarments, a cardigan soft as a creature smelling of birth and milk. And I lay down in motherhood's bed, the bed I had made, but could not sleep in, for I was called at once to work in the factory of motherhood. The L shift, the graveyard shift, feeding, cleaning, loving, feeding, I walked home, heart sore through pale streets, the coins of motherhood singing in my pockets. Then I soaked my spindle bones in the chill municipal baths of motherhood, watching strands of my hair float from my fingers. Each day I pushed my pram through freeze and blossom down the wide boulevards of motherhood, where poplars bent their branches to stroke my brow. I stood with my sisters in the queues of motherhood, the wine clinic, the supermarket, 
waiting for its bureaucracies to open their doors. As required, I stood beneath the flag of motherhood and opened my mouth, although I did not know the anthem. When darkness fell, I pushed my pram home again. By lamplight wrote urgent letters of complaint to the Department of Motherhood, but received no response. I grew sick and was healed in the hospitals of motherhood, with their long-closed isolation wards and narrow beds watched over by a fat moon. The doctors were slender and efficient. And when I was well, they gave me my pram again, so I could stare at the daffodils in the parks of motherhood while winds pierced my breasts like silver arrows. In snowfall, I haunted motherhood cemeteries, the sweet fallen beneath my feet, our lady of the birth trauma, our lady of psychosis. I wanted to speak to them, tell them I understood, but the words came out scrambled. So I knelt instead and prayed in the chapel of motherhood. Prayed for that whole wild fucking queendom. Its sorrow, its unbearable skinless beauty and all the souls that were in it. I prayed and prayed until my voice was a night cry. Sunlight pixelating my face like a kaleidoscope. Thank you very much and thank you for talking with me. You're welcome. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you would like to comment on the podcast you have just listened to, or if you want to download more of our podcasts, visit our blog at www.readdurhamenglish.wordpress.com. 